are listening to Pastor Ben Eckel of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. So in, in 2 Kings 15, we're seeing, uh, again, the succession of kings, hence the book, 2 Kings. Um, but we're actually going to be, you know, as, as you keep your finger there, be in 2 Chronicles 26, because it's going to expand our narrative for us. Um, in verse 1, it says, In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. 16 years old. Uh, from our perspective, a 16-year-old, uh, I wouldn't let go grocery shopping in my house. Right? Let's just be real. Uh, a 16-year-old a, a in 2023 is a liability, okay? Let's just be real here. I mean, there's teenagers in our presence here. I don't want to pick on you too bad, but you got to remember, your grandpa was fighting Nazis as a teenage boy. History has erased the fact 14-year-olds stormed the beach in Normandy, Okay. We have X Games. We have guys who can play really good video games and we think they're heroes. Okay. So 16-year-olds, the idea of teenager is a Western concept that really didn't exist until maybe the 1920s, right, when they reversed child labor laws. And then in the 50s, we had all these fat, lame, and lazy kids laying around, and then rock and roll shows up and birth control pills, and then we're here. We're a product of that, right? Led Zeppelin, LSD, birth control didn't work. That's why I'm probably here, you know, uh, just saying, um, <laughs> free love. But so the point is I'm picking on teenagers. So in the Middle East, a 16 year old has been a man for, for four years, right? When you were 12, Hey, here's a plot of land, go get married. You're going to be dead at 40. Most likely anyway. I mean, life was hard back then. Okay. Even in America, the average person lived till 40 when they enacted social security. Right. That's why they said it at 65. You know, <laughs> nobody saw 65 in the 40s. And so we've perpetuated adolescence in our culture. OK. And so a 16 year old here, we're probably thinking some kid who's just kind of like laying around the house. No, 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 no. This is a, a person who's considered an adult. OK. Even back. Look at American history. The guys who fought in the Civil War, those generals, they all graduated West Point in college at 15, 16 years old, you know. And so the idea here is you got a 16-year-old, but he's also a 16-year-old with no dad, okay? I mean, anyone here uh, experienced not having your father around as a teenager? He may even have been there, but he wasn't there, you know what I mean? Like, we joke with Colin. We ask him what it's like to have a dad in the house. 
Yeah, that's why we keep them here. And a mom. <laughs> yeah, you had both your parents around. Well, you're, you're, you left at 16 on your own. That's your fault. <laughs> you, you ran away from home. <laughs> both homes. <laughs> so 16 years old, and then, you know, he inherits a throne. We're talking the king of Israel, right? Or rather, Jerusalem, the, the, the kingdom of Judah. This is the center hub. And there's a lot of responsibility for a king. So imagine you're 16 years old and now you're anointed king and your, your dad's gone, right? And so in that, what do you do? Is there a book? Well, when you became king, you had to read the book of Deuteronomy and write it out, right? There was general instruction in there. But could you imagine? You're, you're assuming headship of the household. You're assuming headship of the nation. You are a target. You are the most hated nation in the region. Not only has there been a civil war where the north hates you, but then you have the Assyrians who hate you. you you're not in a good position. I mean, things right now haven't really changed in Israel so much. I mean, it's like you, you see what goes on in the Middle East now, and to be the president of Israel, man, that's a, I mean, how do you go to bed at night? Well, we're going to read a little bit about this kid here. He grows up fast. Verse 3 says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. As we talked last week, these this is just something Israel, or rather the kingdom of Judah, couldn't shake was these these foreign idolatrous practices of high places, the secret sins. They still had the temple. They still had the priesthood. They still had the ordinances of God, but they had the little like side sins, right? It's the equivalent of, you know, I'm going to just go to the casino before I go to church. You know, on Saturday nights, I go to the casino, but Sunday I'm going to praise God. And then we'll go drinking, you know, on, on dollar taps on Tuesday. You know, it's, it's, it's a compromise, Okay, the, the nation was compromised, and he failed to bring them out of that compromise. But nonetheless, this is a king that was probably the best king since David, right? Now, you wonder, you ever ask, like, why, why did God use such flawed people? Well, it's because that's all he had to choose from, right? Not that he condones their flaws, but... You don't need to be perfect. The fruit of the Spirit is not perfection. God will take what he can get. Now, there's things, yeah, we'll disqualify you. We're not going to get into that. But God had a nation to run, and he was going to use a human office to do it. And he's going to use this guy, although he's not perfect. You're going to realize the real hero to Israel will always be who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, He's not going to share his glory with anybody. And so, you know, in that... God is going to be honored. But this kid here, he actually does some good stuff. We're going to go into that. But, verse 5, Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house judging the people of the land. Why would God strike this guy down with leprosy. You guys know what leprosy is? It's where you turn orange and have spots. You turn into a leopard. Sorry, bad joke. 
<laughs> no, the idea, it's Hansen's disease. It's, it's this idea that you just start to decay and rot, right? There's no, up until recently, there wasn't a cure, okay? The only, if you got it, this is just your way home. There's a long, hard death sentence, you know, until Jesus came along. Jesus would heal leprosy. We saw Naaman the Syrian, he got healed too supernaturally. But there's no way back on it, and we're going to get to that, you know? This wasn't just God being capricious, okay? There's, there's a reason for this. But if you turn with me, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 3 through 23. Um, in 2 Chronicles, um, you're going to see they're going to use his other name, which is King Uzziah, okay? It's just another another surname for him. It says, so in, now all the peoples of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elith and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Underline verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Right? This is why God picked him. He's young. He's inexperienced. He's a novice. He's insecure. He has no idea what he's doing. And so in that position, he had no other option but to draw close to God. Hey, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I think God gets delight in that. When we, when we come to him in honesty and humility and we pray, we seek him. Lord, how do I do this, right? We're going to get to some verses, you know, but the key verse that's going to reinforce this task, ta excuse me, text, Matthew 6. You guys know this. Jesus tells us, right? Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they have neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a conditional promise, and the condition then is, is as you seek the Lord, all these things shall be added to you, right? We have an American version. Do your own thing, and with your spare time, go to church, read your Bible, and pray, and then maybe help out at church a little bit, right? Isn't that the American way we do it? 
I'm too busy working. I'm too busy answering my own prayers. You know, the American dream, two and a half car garages, two and a half kids. You know, everything's two and a half, right? It's just strange how we come up with our numbers. Well, think of like as a, as a young believer, how excited you were as you were learning how to pray and God was answering your prayers. You know, you think of the times where you were at a new job and you don't know how to do it. And you're like, Lord, show me how to fix this. Lord, show me, you know, hey, I need the phone to ring today, Lord. The phone would ring. You know, being a gig worker myself, I don't use advertising. It's, you just have to work that much more to pay for the advertisers, okay? So my, my whole thing is, you know, I just prepare, get ready, do my job the best I can, hope word of mouth works, and just pray that the phone rings, you know, and, and be content, you know? And I've realized, too, that because in ministry, in my personal life, I've got to be ready for God to use me. And as I started my own business and things are clipping along, making some headway, then the competition literally opens up across the street from me and funnels off all my work. And the Lord had to tell me, teach me two lessons. Number one, I feed you. I feed you. Not your skill, not your talent, not your location. I feed you. Number two, you're here to serve me, not build your own kingdom. Okay? rebuked me several times. He says, oh, you think you built your own kingdom and you're just dancing around and worshiping your little kingdom. Then he'd just dry me up for a week or two and say, hey, I'm the boss here, you know? And so you're here to do my pur purposes. And so I realized I wasn't just here to do my, my job and make all this money and have this fantasy life. The Lord, I had to show up. And if there wasn't a phone call that day or something on the books, I had to go to the Lord. What do you want me to do today? He's like, get in the car, let's go for a ride. Right? Some of you guys were around in those days and it's like, Lots of goofy ministry would happen, you know, pulling drunk kids out of ditches, uh, visiting people in hospitals. What's that? Yeah, right. So there's some people watching. I don't use the name of the kid I pulled out of the ditch because he's probably watching too. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Through that season, I learned all the nurses' names, all the doctors' names, all the deputies' names, all the sheriff's names. Right in Marquette County, as well as ours, you know, I was uh, doing the Lord's work, and but the idea was is when I came to the Lord, I was ill-equipped. I was young. I was naive. Uh, didn't know what I was doing. But the Lord just simply one day He says, "I want you to be all in, hundred percent. I want I want you committed to my cause in your life." And the backstory of that was I was dealing with the fact that at the age at which I came to the Lord, 26, 27 years old, somewhere in there, um, I wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of brain cells, and I was kind of disheveled. I was like, man, that was my fighting years. And the Lord's like, watch this. He says, I'm going to restore those years, those locusts I've eaten in your life. But I need commitment. You know, Nobody came to me and said, hey, why don't you just try Jesus? Just try Jesus. Like he's one of a option. You know, Jesus said, I am a way, a truth, a life. No, Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, the life. There wasn't just try Jesus for a 60-day money-back guarantee. There's an actual big pastor who teaches that. Just try Jesus for 60 days. And I just throw his books away or keep them around for spare toilet paper, that guy's books. You know, it's, uh, it is what it is. 
But the idea was I was so desperate, so broken, so at the end of myself. I'm like, why not? Let's try this. For lack of better terms. Let's apply this to our lives. You know, Proverbs 3, you guys know this one, verses 5 through 7. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Right? I realized when I came to the Lord that I was at the end of my wisdom. I wasn't comfortable making my own decisions anymore because my decisions got me sick, broke, drunk, hungover, drug addicted, Sex addicted, porn addicted, whatever addiction that was in the list, you know, and it's like, this is the accumulation of my life. I was the boss. You ever, you ever minister to somebody and they're like, I'm the, I'm the boss of my own life. And I'm like, how come you're not a millionaire then? You should find a better boss. I've never met that guy. You know, I'd go to the drug rehab. I'm in control of my life. I'm like, it shows. I said, how come you're not sitting up front telling me I should change? Why don't you evangelize me with your addiction and depression and worry? Oh, yeah, oh, you're an idiot. Sit down. Listen, you know, clear your ears out. But I realized I don't have to make my own decisions anymore as a Christian. I, I simply can lay the decision before the Lord and have him direct me. But you know how God works. You say it's either A or B, and he goes, no, it's yellow. It's three. You're like, what? He says, there's other options you haven't considered here, mister. But I found the burden in my life was left the cares of the world, right? Isn't that really the enemy of our life? Let's not even bring Satan into the equation. It, it's really the cares of the world. And if you are a media junkie, like the world throws a lot of cares at you. That's why children now are committing suicide worse than they've ever had in American history. Because they all have smartphones and they're going, my life stinks. It's not like this. I don't live a Taylor Swift video. Oh, my God. My mom didn't buy me the boots I wanted this week. Her dad didn't take me shopping. Right? They feel their life is inferior to the fantasy land that the internet makes for us. Okay? I grew up pre-internet, praise God, because those phones take pictures, and I did a lot of things you shouldn't have taken pictures of. So the idea, though, is when you submit your life to the Lord, he can make the decisions for you because you understand only God knows your future. You don't know your future. Satan doesn't even know your future, but God does. And his way is perfect. But the idea is fear the Lord, right? Respect, awe, revere. Let's just be real. Let's be afraid because when you disobey God, you're now signing up for pain compliance, right? He'll spank his kids. But in that, there's no point in serving and loving God until I know who God is, Okay? You can't love somebody you don't know unless you meet them on Tinder, right? <laughs> That's kind of the American culture. You ascribe false character traits to people online based on what they look like, you know? And it's true. That's, that's the culture we live in. It's like, I want to believe something that's not true. And I think a lot of Christians or people who are looking at God, they want to believe something that's not true about God. We have an American Jesus, right? We have Jesus of cable TV, whatever you want. We won't go down that rabbit hole. But the Jesus of the Bible, the Lord Jesus of the Bible. And I realized coming from like a fake religious tradition, I had to get into the Bible myself and know who this Jesus was to me. 
Mark 12 tells me, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with some of your soul, and some of your mind, and with some of your strength. Do you have that translation? No, it says all. What does all mean? It means all. This is the first commandment. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Right? You can't help. When you get to know Jesus, you're like, oh my. Oh, he's magnificent. Oh, right? Oh, it's like the way Colin reacts to Milwaukee tools. Oh, did you see? Did you show me that one? The pump? The stick pump? And the, and the guy's like, take my money. How do I explain this to my wife that they make a stick pump with a battery? How do you even use this? I got to have it, you know? But with Jesus, the more you get to know the Jesus in that book, you're like, he can do that for me? Yeah. It will create love. But there's competition in our heart, isn't there? The world. See, the world offers us stuff right? Shortcuts, instant gratification, right? First John 2 tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but, excuse me, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So there's a promise of eternal life as we submit our life to the Lord. That's the one thing the Lord settles in, in, in our economy is he deals with our greatest fear, right? The fear of death. But you find shadows of that fear remain. That's why you work overtime. That's why you credit card spend. That's why you do the things you do is because you're afraid to die and you need to hustle and make ends meet. That's why you lie on your taxes, cheat your customers, right? Lie to your kids about allowance, right? I don't pay my kids to live in my house. Actually, I've raised a princess. We have a budget for her. She's horrible, you know? She gets whatever she wants all the time. Why? Because she's my daughter, and I'm a sucker, you know? Follow me for more parenting tips, okay? <laughs> the idea, though... There's this enemy called the care of the the cares of the world that gnaws at us. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to work? How are we going to do this? How are we going to make ends meet? Oh my gosh! Blah blah blah. And it's it's just nagging, right? Doesn't that just that dominates our life? Isn't that why we do what we do every day? Is to satisfy the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Well. Not only does God settle our greatest needs by dying in our place, satisfying the judgment of God for all the evil in your life, making things right with you and God, it's a free gift. He offers it to us. He says, just accept it, right? Accept that free gift that you believe in Christ and you shall live forever. Now, Jesus goes on to say, he says, not only do you have this eternal life, but you will have abundant life. That's not a guarantee, though. It's a guarantee as you are discipled and as you submit your life to the teachings of Christ, your abundant life will be unlocked. And his abundant life isn't described in financial terms, right? We only think of abundance as in stuff, right? If you've been in my basement, I have an abundance of boxes full of stuff I don't even look at. Like, I don't even want to touch them. There's just an abundance. What's in there? The future garage sales of 
Rockland Street, or not Rockland, Seneca Street, you know. But there's an abundance in non-economic terms, which may include economy, but the idea is there's a fulfillment that's unlocked in your submission to God, right? You and I have a hole shaped like Christ, don't we? And we've packed that hole full of everything, right? And it doesn't fit. It creates more longing, more hunger. And until you allow the Lord to sit in that throne through discipleship, through submission, you will never experience that abundant life, right? Jesus says what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Lose your life for my sake, and you'll find it. Everyone turn with me to Marcus's life verse. <laughs> Psalm 37, 3 through 7. You know this one. You made a video about it. Right. Every time he messes up, my pastor sends him the video. <laughs> plays it in church. We've sent it to his mom, too. I'm sure I'm sure Rakanda plays it at every family function. Oh, this is my son. Look at him. <laughs> Gotta love moms. Psalm 37. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. We have a lot of exhortations here. Trust, dwell, commit, another trust, rest, do good. There's a lot of things here for us. Trusting in the Lord, the only thing harder than trusting God is what? Not trusting God. <laughs> the Lord will take care of you. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord. You know, when you become a believer in the word of God, when you became a Bible-believing Christian, I don't like to use the term Christian. It's such a watered-down term. When you become a Bible-believer. The idea there is the word of God is sufficient to all your needs. And before I became a Christian, I thought the Bible was a list of rules. Do it and don't do it, right? And that God wanted me to be a better performer in order for me to like him more. And that's what religion tells us to do. Every religion says, you need to try harder so God will like you. That may work in your high school dating relationships, but it doesn't work in eternity for God. God's not even like that. He loves you because God's a lover. That's why God loves you, right? That's the nature of God, is to love. However, you have a problem. He's given you free will and you've disobeyed him and because you're stained with sin, you can't enter into his presence till the sin issue is taken away of, away from you, right? He cleans you, right? The blood of Christ then cleanses you of all unrighteousness so you could be in the presence of God and enjoy God. God's an enjoyable person. You know, the presence of the Holy Spirit brings about an inner peace and inner joy. You realize that God is for you. God has taken away the fear, right? It's perfect love. And so as you receive the love of God, 
you enjoy him. And he says, now what do you want to do for me? Now, you can't say, I'm going to be a drug dealer for Jesus. I'm not going to be a stripper for Jesus. Now, I, I, unfortunately, you know, my friends, they wanted to be hitmen for Jesus. That's a different Bible study, but the Lord has wired you in a certain way to fulfill duties in this side of eternity into the next side of eternity. I believe I'll be a worship leader on the other side, right? With all my guitars, they're going with me in the rapture. I can't play a note right now. You know, <laughs> that's, that's to your benefit. <laughs> but the Lord is interested in giving you a task and a purpose and a reason to wake up every day rather than the grind and the hustle. That gets old, doesn't it? To work just for work's sake or even to work just to feed the kids, it gets old. It gets tiring. It brings about anxiety. But there's something about doing what God has given you because, A, you can't burn out in doing what God has called you to do. And you're also going to enjoy it. And through that, you're going to be able to endure the suffering that obedience to Christ will bring in your life. And you won't even view it as suffering. He shall give you the desires of your heart. But God is not trying to force your hand and make you serve him out of compulsion. He's not a wicked taskmaster. What do you want to do for him? I mean, he'll let you choose. You don't have to do what he's given you. You can just be a miserable Christian and wait for the rapture to happen, and you're going to still go to heaven. Right? Your, your right standing with God isn't based on performance, okay? He didn't hire you. He saved you. But he's got a job for you. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Be all in. Close the back doors in your life. What are the competitive things in your life for your walk with God? Usually it comes down to you want to do things your own way. If God gave you the plan for your life, you'd boogie. You'd, you'd split because it's going to hurt, right? Well, you commit. You just say all in. I tell, as you've heard me say over and over again, I've made one decision in my life, and that's to follow Jesus. And it got me in Lorium. I just heard voices, kept moving, kept calling U-Haul, and I just, Lord just said, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. I didn't argue. I just went. Commit. I like what Peter said. Peter said to Jesus, where else are we going to go? They already sold all their gear, walked away from their nets, walked away from their boats, and they're like, what are we going to do? You're the only one with the words to eternal life. What did they all do? They all went back to fishing. You know, Peter we, we, we think he's this big, strong fisherman. You know he never caught a fish outside of Jesus saying, hey, the fish are over there. And he, just like you and I, argues with Jesus. No, you can't catch fish this time of day. Jesus is like, okay, just shh, play it. Shh, just, just put your net in. And then what did he do? He dragged in the nets and he had to call for other boats. And he's like, oh, we're not worthy. Depart from us. We're sinful people. Jesus doesn't care about that whole rigor, man. Just do what he says. He shall bring it to pass. Verse 7, though, rest. When you understand, when you become keenly aware that you are being held in the hand of God, isn't there something comforting? Like, I don't know how this problem is going to work itself out. 
I just know who's going to work the problem out for me. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, right? I just got to be where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to do, and resting in that, right? Take his yoke upon him and rest. The world doesn't offer rest, does it? I mean, you get a reprieve of rest. You get drunkenness. You get a dopamine rush. You get a glimpse into a fantasy world through a video game or a TikTok video. But it never lasts, right? doesn't bring about true peace. Let's, you know, we, we were talking the other day, smoking. Smoking's the fake Holy Spirit. You're all wound up and you have a cigarette, and what does it do? Calms you down. Isn't smoking, hey, I'm an ex-smoker. Remember those, you're just like, I'd go to the bar with my date, and it was a 20-pack of cigarettes. Like, I'm going smoking. I'm not even drinking. The beer was there to help me smoke, you know? You're just like, and then the rush, the calm. But then by the end of the night, you've smoked all 20, and you're like, I'm going to go mow the lawn with scissors, you know? It doesn't last. It doesn't last, you know? And it's like the world can't give you rest. Praise God for that, because if we found rest in this world, we'd never seek heaven. We all have eternity in our heart, don't we? There's something in our heart that says, we got to get out of this place. As beautiful as the world is, God's like, no, this is a trash heap compared to what I have for you. But rest is found in the presence of God, in the right standing of God. There's the peace with God through the cross, and then there's the peace of God through obedience and submission. Right. I, I like being a dad. You know, my my son doesn't ask me questions about interest rates and mortgages and car payments. He just does what he's doing now. He just finds my big fat belly and falls asleep on me in the chair. And he just loves it there. In fact, you cannot just lay my kid down to go to bed. He needs to be rocked because he's a mama's boy and a daddy's boy. He just loves to be held. You know, and that's what I think God really seeks from us. Does He just wants us to just rest in his lap and his presence and just enjoy that closeness, right? That's really what Christianity is, is just you and I sit down on our dad's lap, right? That spirit in us cries, what, Abba, Father, right? Some of us here are parents. Don't you just love it when your kids are snuggly, especially when they're quiet, when they're sleeping snuggly? I have a five-year-old. She doesn't stop talking. So when we're alone, she's like, I'm just, shh, I want rest too. But you just, when you know the Lord's in control, you can rest. And you wait patiently. And you don't have to fret. So I think this young, inexperienced, fatherless, new king had to rest on this relationship with God, and he had a man in his life to disciple him, Zechariah. Zechariah probably discipled him, right? He understood the visions of God. But I think at some point, maybe Zechariah left the scene, and, and things started to change in this young, man, young man's life. But I want us to look at the resume that this young man brought about in his 52-year reign. Like, he did some pretty excellent things. Verse 6, all the way back in Second Chronicles there, it says, Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal, and against the Maonites, also the Ammonites, 
brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. This is the decline right here. Underline that. For he became exceedingly strong. Rut row. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress of the wall that he fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells for he had much livestock both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role and prepared by Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600, and under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers of the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped. Till he became strong. Uh-oh. Now keep in mind, notice the list of things he did were not there to feather his own nest. They were there to protect God's people. They were there to feed God's people, right? He's a shepherd. He's a protector. He was in the interest of the nation, right? He dispossessed the enemies. He provided for his people. He increased. He brought their enemies into tribute, Right? But he became strong. He started to now get self-sufficient. He started to get prosperous. What happens when you and I get more money in the pocket? We don't need to pray anymore. We got money. We can buy whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. Why do we need to pray? Obviously, it's God's will because he gave me money. So I'm going to go live more self-indulgently because now I have money. And that's God's will for my life. You know, Money is really just character flaw. Or it's just miracle grow on our character flaws. We get self-sufficient. We get headstrong, right? We, we start to lose that childlike trust in God. We make our own decisions. We get proud, self-sufficient, right? The word self keeps coming up. He was marvelously helped by God till he became strong. Careful when God blesses you. Don't take credit for it. Remain in that place of humility. Don't expand your kingdom. That's the other thing. Don't expand your kingdom. Use what God has given you, your time, your talent, and treasure to expand the Lord's kingdom. We'll talk more about that here soon. But so notice we're going to get into where God's going to judge him. Verse 16 says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Ooh, pride. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. You know, the law of God said a king could not be a priest and a priest could not be king. Somehow in his pride, in the fact that he was built up in his heart, he had an inaccurate view of himself. He had a strong ego, right? He had an eye problem, me, myself, and I, the whole unholy trinity. 
Somehow, some way, he had this idea, oh, I can just bypass the word of God. The word doesn't apply to me. God has done so much for me. We've got a bargain. You ever bargain with God? See how he's blessed me? I get a pass. Right? I can do whatever I want because, hey, we talked about this last week. The same thing as dad did. He somehow felt the law of God didn't apply to him. What's, what's so bad about him just walking into the temple of God and burning a little incense? It's not his job, right? That's another man's ministry. That's not the ministry God called him to do. God's very serious about that. You've got to stay in your lane. You've got to let the other people do their ministry as well as yours. But the real application is, is you are still under the word of God. You're still under God's reign, rule, and the authority he's placed in your life. You know, Matthew 18, you guys know this story. I'll read it to you. Jesus had to remind his disciples. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, the loaded question. All right, men's ministry is like this. You know, who's greatest? We all know who isn't. We always pick on that guy. But, you know, who's the greatest? Jesus, just give us a hint. Is it, you know, is it me? <laughs> Then Jesus called a little child to him, and he sat him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become a, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of, of heaven. You know how revered children are in the Middle East at this time. You know, that must have just been like a, really? I mean, think about it. Kids are just liabilities till they're what? In America, 33, that's when they leave the house these days, right? You just humble yourself as a little child. I, as I become a Christian, I, I try to make myself dumber and dumber. Just like I just don't want to concern myself with the cares of the world. I just, I just try to put the blinders on, you know, and just have this. Remember as a kid, you, you just never thought of those things until people made you aware of that. And, and Jesus is just like, just humble yourself. Be silly, stupid like a kid. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had to come to a conclusion in his life as, as the Apostle Paul was having ministerial success, as he was giving the oracles of God as he was giving revelations of God, as he was being uh, used in a mighty way to start churches and plant ministries and to bring about many to faith, there's a temptation to go. Man, look how great I am. Well, Paul writes, at least I should be exalted. He says, at least I should be exalted above measure. By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs 
and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, when you're weak, physically, whatever your affliction may be, it causes you to stay close to God. Right? We, we talk about when Jacob wrestled with the angel of God and he wrestled all night and he said, I will not let you go till you bless me. And the angel touched his hip. And then what happened? Walked with a limp. And the Lord turned around and said, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Jacob used to mean what? Dirty, rotten, heel-catching thief. Now his name means governed by God. Well, how did that governance take place? That limp. Now you're vulnerable. Now you need to lean on something greater than you to support you, and that's hopefully the Lord. So don't be surprised, Christian, where you may have some weakness in your life. You may have some insufficiencies. You may have something there where you simply need to have that in order for you to draw close to God. For when you are weak, then he is strong. You know, as, as you know, they, they just made a movie about the history of the Calvary Chapel movement and the strength that really was part of the movement in the early days, I should say, was the fact that God took a burned out preacher who didn't teach very well to teach a bunch of un, really unteachable hippie kids the Bible. Chuck used to hate it. He'd sit and watch these kids. They'd be out smoking a joint, drinking out of their wineskins with no shoes on coming into his church. And he's like, no. And the Lord's like, just teach them. And the power of that movement was based on the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It converted these young men and women. And they grew up. They matured. The teaching of God's Word was, was so thorough, it completed these people and they went on to plant 1,600 churches and worldwide organizations. And it's because they understood they had no pedigree. They couldn't afford Bible college and seminary. They could barely read as it was. I mean, you guys met the people who mentored me, right? Those guys are all burnouts and drug addicts and illiterate. And God said, you're going to be a pastor. And their pastor said, here's a dictionary and here's a Bible. Figure it out. You know, there's something comforting in that. God will meet your lack. And that's always been the strength is, you know, as cavalry, we've always picked from the back of the pack. It's easier to take someone out of the dung heap and teach them in the ways of God rather than uh, someone from another church some days and try to reevaluate their and readjust their thinking because they have such strongholds. We're always trying to reach the lost. We're always trying to reach the world. We're always trying to give this away to people who don't know God. We're not trying to, like, reach the church, you know. But then the power of God is manifest. Verse 17, back in our Second Chronicles 26, it says, So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord. Valiant men like that. We always think priests of like Friar Tuck. These like fat, bumbling idiots, you know, with a mop and a bucket. No, no, no. These are valiant men, like warrior priests, you know. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You have not no honor from the Lord God. 
Boy, you know, this scenario didn't take place in the Midwest. Confrontation? Correction? Rebuke? Get out of the sanctuary. They didn't even explain themselves. They said, you are not where you belong. Get out. God is going to deal with you. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. Ooh, like instantly. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of God. So why leprosy? Well, we know from the law, you could not go into the assembly with this horribly contagious disease. Imagine how long he had this for. How slow, and how nasty, how stinky, and how, not only that, he was isolated in a house. You, you think we get shack happy this time of year. Imagine not being able to have any physical contact with anybody because of your disease. But the Lord knew that this was the appropriate measure to take in his life because maybe he would have been tempted to come back in if he just received a verbal warning. He knew that the pride in his heart was so great, he was so far gone in that, that God had to do something physical in his life to restrain the evil in his life. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. Again, he acted above the law. He took matters into his own hands. You know, the, the, the law said, when, you did, when a king do, did something like this, it was punishable by death. They should have taken him out and stoned him. But I think God in his grace and his mercy gave him this. Give him some time to think. Isn't that what a good disease does to you? Oh, the thinking you do? First, you got to go through the whole guilty conscience thing, right? Oh, I got a flat on my way to church today because I stole a lollipop in third grade. Or, you know, all this happened because of that and da-da-da-da-da. But the Lord just loves to give a man some quiet time, you know? They do this with horses. You know, after, after a, a horse training lesson, what you're supposed to do is take a horse and tie him to a pole for about an hour out in the pasture. Gives the horse time to think how they did. Right? They self-evaluate. Right? Introspection. Right? <laughs> God just says, sit there. Think about it here for a while. Let's, let's reason together. Let's see how we did here. How'd you do, buddy? You know, for some people, the only way they can walk with the Lord is what? Through a jail cell, through a hospital bed. You know, those are great teachers. He started off well, didn't he? Until he became strong. He got self-confident. Isn't that where I get tripped up to? Is like, hey, Lord, I got it from here. Hey, thanks for getting me this far. I got it. My facts, my reasonings, my logic, my pragmatism, right? We bring all these things to the table. We'll make it work from here. No. Be a child.
the rest of this chapter is going to go on and explain some of the worst kings ever in Israel's history. We're talking a month here, two months, a couple years. Like, it's just this constant turnover. It's like being a manager at Walmart, you know, like you're just going to die. You know, don't, don't even get to know anyone's names or you'll be fired. But there was a common theme throughout that portion of scripture here. We're not going to read it all, but it says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Holy Spirit was very careful to let us know these men didn't do things God's way. To the Lord, there's no such thing as secular or sacred. Let me ask you a question. How many here are Christians? How many of you guys are in ministry? It should be the same number. God saved you for a task. And he expects you to do it his way to, A, guarantee success. But also for your own peace of mind. If you strive to attain your ministry, your work, your provision, then you have to maintain, right? Ford owners, amen, right? <laughs> Any domestic vehicle, you know, it, it, there's, there's just, you realize when you, when you have a high maintenance lifestyle, it just, you, every dollar that comes in, three goes out the back door, right? God is very simple, you know, there's just something there that you just know the money will show up. It's skimmed down to verse 32. It says, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. His dad died again. He assumed the throne at 25. He maybe had time to talk to his dad through the wall. But at this point, after having such a long, dark political turmoil occurring, King Uzziah dies. And what we read in the other scriptures is in Isaiah, what did Isaiah write? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. God started mustering up the message of the prophets. God was at work through the darkness. You ever think how we are in our nation, in our country, our community? Oh, it's dark. God's still at work. That darkness, that famine, there it's designed to create a hunger and a thirst in the people, right? When there's when there's a hole, there's a pit where there's some despair, where there's tragedy, people start to perk up a little bit, don't they? Anyone here come to the Lord through just, man, my life is so blessed. I'm so prosperous. Everything's great. My marriage is wonderful. My kids love me. I'm just missing God. No. Everything else is haywire, and you're like, I better seek the Lord. This young boy here, 25, after this 
long reign of horrible kings, he did what was right. Just think of what he had to step into. A nation of chaos. And God recorded. He says, you did what was right. The Lord was at work. We were talking Wednesday. Remember we brought it up like, let's not look at what God's not doing. Let's look at what God is doing. Right? God's at work whether we see it or not. God's at work in you. God's at work in our community. But how can you be an answer to the prayers you have for your family, for your community, for your work, your school, or play? How many of us are going to the Lord and say, send me into the problem? Right? That's what, that's what Isaiah said. He said, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God says, okay, I'm going to clean that up. But what I, I'm looking for is somebody to go to the nations. And what did he say? Pick me, pick me. How many other volunteers were there? Just him. You know, he's baited. You know, how many of us are going to the Lord? Hey, Calumet Lorium, they're falling into the ocean. It's their despair. They're morally bankrupt. And, and God says, who should I send? You're like, Hunter, send Hunter. No, it's, no, send me. Be the answer to your own prayer. But understand this, Christian, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. You've, you'll realize you're built for the task. So with that, let's pray.